Amen. It was Charles Hurds or Hodge, the theologian, who said, The rejection of the gospel is as clear proof of moral depravity as inability to see the sun at noon is a proof of blindness. Now, we come here in the book of Numbers in the chapter 16, we're coming to a time in Israel of great rebellion. The Israelites, having been brought out of the land of Egypt, having been delivered and brought across the Red Sea and brought into that time of wilderness. The Lord is there. The Lord is leading them. The Lord is guiding them. The Lord has raised up their leaders, Moses and Aaron, for them. And yet, whenever we come into this passage, we see that all is not well. Individuals are starting to turn on the authority, on the leadership. You have in the verse 1 mentioned to you Korah, and the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and also Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth. And then in the verse number 2, you have mentioned as well 250 princes, men of renown, who join with them. And so the great company of the Israelites is starting to divide. They're starting to separate. No longer there is that group who no longer accept the authority and accept the teaching and accept the guidance that Moses and Aaron give. That authority, by the way, just to remind you, was authority that was divinely decreed. God had set those two men in place. This was not something that Moses ever wanted. You study into the book of Exodus. Whenever the Lord calls Moses at the burning bush, he gives him that call, he gives him that command to go to Israel or to go into Egypt to bring the Israelites out. Moses does his best to get out of it. He constantly says, Lord, I can't speak. Lord, I can't, I can't, I can't. And the Lord comes to a point where he just tells him, Moses, you're going. Moses never wanted this. Aaron never wanted this. And yet God raised those two individuals up to be the leaders of the Israelite people to bring them out of Egypt unto the promised land. So we come to this chapter 16 and now we have Korah as a leader of this breakaway group. You have Dathan, you have Abiram, you have On. And they're coming and they come with those words, we're no longer accepting your authority. Moses, he speaks to Korah, he commands him in the verses that we read, he says to them, verse number 5, even tomorrow the Lord will show us. So he tells them, right, tomorrow you must come back. You've stated your case today, now we're going to leave it for the rest of this day. Tomorrow you must appear again before me. So the next morning, they're all gathered. Korah's there. On's there. 250 princes are there, but two individuals are missing. Dathan and Abiram. What we have in the verse number 12 is a wonderful picture of the gospel. Because Moses extends an invitation. What you have in the response is what the response is of so many, rejecting the gospel. Rejecting that which God has commanded. Rejecting that which God offers. Yes, there's a literal understanding of the passage, but I trust tonight, even as we go through it, I trust we'll see the great emphasis, the great application of the gospel that is in it. Firstly, I want you to see in the verse number 12 the plea that is made. The plea that is made for the verse 12, Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram. 
Moses gives that extra call to them. He sends a runner, as it were. He sends a messenger to them. They're still in their tent. They're refusing to come out. And he sends word to them, come up. Come to me. Come to the place where you've been called to. Come to the place where we're gathered together. You see, Dathan and Abiram, they were not there. But yet Moses had a desire for them to come. Even though Moses knew their starting point, even though Moses knew these are two individuals who are not on my side, these are two individuals that are against me, these are two individuals that do not want the authority of Moses and Aaron over the Israelites anymore, these are two that are not my supporters in any way, and yet there still is an invitation given. Moses still desires them to be there. He still has a desire for them to come and to appear before him. So he sends an extra, he goes as it were the extra mile, he sends a runner. There's an invitation, come up. Yeah, it's an exhortation. You could say even it's a command. Come. Leave where you are. Come out of your tent. Come away from the place that you're currently residing and come up to me. Surely the spiritual parallel is there because the plea in the gospel is come. Very simply. The plea of the gospel is come. To leave behind your dwelling place of sin. To come away from the things of the world. To come away from that place in which you currently reside. That residence of rebellion against the gospel. That anger even against the things of God and the word of God. To come away from it all and to come to Christ. You know, I think of the words that are found in Isaiah 1, in the verse 18. It begins with these two words, come now. Look at the imperative aspect. Look at the immediate clause that is given. It's not simply come. It's come now. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Lo, your sins be as scarlet. There's your starting point. There's the basis of every individual that's born. Every individual born in sin. Every individual at enmity or against God. Every individual with no desire for the things of God. And the Lord comes and he says and he gives the invitation. Come now. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As I said, that gospel plea is given in spite of your starting point as a sinner. In spite of the fact that whenever you remain in your sin, you are at enmity with God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 teaches. Each one who remains in their sin is at enmity. They are against God. In spite of the fact that a life of a sinner up until the point of conversion is a life of sin and depravity. You look at Romans 1 verse 30, it speaks about haters of God. Now those are strong words. Those are very clear words, but they're very strong words. And many individuals, you can say, and if you were to tell them you hate God, they would be up in arms against you. How dare you say, I hate God? I'm not saying it. God's word says it. 
How dare you say that I'm an enemy of God? I'm not saying it. God's word says it. That's where a sinner is. That's where someone outside of Christ is. They are against God, at enmity with God, haters of God. The sinner, just like Dathan and Abiram, does not stand with the leader. does not stand with the Lord. You stand apart from him. You stand separate from him. And yet God in his mercy, in spite of the fact you're against him, God in his mercy extends an invitation to you. Come. Come up to me. You see the grace of God even in this passage. Because in reality, even we spoke about it or we sang about it in the first hymn about the great God of wonders, the God of all power, God of all holiness, God of all perfection, God in his righteousness in accordance with his justice. God could have struck Dathan and Abiram down right there in their tent. He could have slew them. He could have opened up the ground there and then and just swallowed them up. He could have cast them into hell forever. And yet, even though they refused to come at the set time, at the appointed time, yet the invitation goes out, come. That's the grace of God. The Lord withheld the judgment for a season upon Dathan and Abiram in spite of their rebellion to give them one more opportunity. Come. My friend, tonight, if you're in this meeting unsaved, tonight you are experiencing grace. Every day of your life until this very moment you've experienced the grace of God. Because in spite of your sins every single day and every one of us sin every day, We were born in sin, every one of us, myself included. And the fact that the Lord has spared you in spite of the fact that you have ran in your sin and ran from God all of your life, you've experienced the grace of God to this very moment because God has spared you, given you another plea, given you another invitation. Come. Come to Christ. Come now. The plea that is given. But then secondly in the verse number 12. You have the proclamation that is made. Because the sons of Eliab said. We will not come up. You know that exhortation was sent out. Moses made it very clear. Very simple message. Come. And yet Dathan and Abiram. Both of them. They're there in that tent. And both individuals. In spite of the fact. Remember Moses is the leader. In spite of the fact that all authority had been given unto Moses, he was the leader of all of the Israelites. He was the one who spoke, who met with God. He was the one in which the power and authority had been bestowed. He was the one to rule over them. He was the one even to judge the people in their times of disagreements. They came to Moses. Moses' word was final. And yet here was Moses. He sent the word, the invitation, come. And two individuals say, no. We're not coming. It doesn't matter that it's a leader. It doesn't matter it's Moses that has asked us to come, has even commanded us to come. We won't come. 
They refuse, as it were, to bow the knee to the authority and to the command of Moses. And yet tonight the gospel message presents you with an exhortation, an invitation, yeah, a command to come, but it's not simply being given to you by a man. It's not simply being given to you by some leader, as it were. It's coming from one who is wiser, one who is mightier, one who is greater, one who is more power in heaven and earth. And his words are this, repent, believe the gospel, come unto him. His exhortation is to come that you might have rest. And yet how many today there are right across Northern Ireland that in times past and even today are hearing the gospel invitation afresh to come unto the Lord and how many simply turn as it were their backs and say we will not come up. We will not come. They hear a gospel preacher tell them they need to come to Christ. And they'll, yet they'll turn their backs as it were and they'll say, We will not come your way. We will not come in your time. We will not come at your command. We will not come up. And yet the same individuals, many of them say they want to go to heaven. They want certain aspects of Christianity. Individuals will call themselves Christians. They'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. They'll say, oh, I, I, I go to church on a Sunday, or I, I, I do read a Bible. And they have certain parts of Christianity. Did you notice what the words in the opening verses we read? Those men, Korah, Death, and Abiram, on the 250 men of the princes that there were, what were they asking for? They were asking for certain parts of the work. It wasn't a case that they had wanted nothing to do with it. Rather that they actually wanted some parts of the work for themselves. Basically, Dathan and Abiram were the same as Korah. They wanted a greater role. But they wouldn't accept the authority. Maybe you're here tonight and you desire certain aspects of the gospel. You desire to have the name tag as it were Christian. You desire tonight to have a home in heaven. Your desire tonight is whenever I die, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But yet you will not accept or obey the simple instruction to come. To leave the place of sin, to leave the world behind, to turn your back on the world, and to come away from the world and to come to the cross, to come to Christ. What an awful proclamation to make. You see, whenever the gospel invitation is extended, what is the gospel? It's bringing the simple gospel that Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He took the sins of his own people. He took those sins in his own body. And he suffered and he bled and he died for our sins upon the cross. And then he was buried. And then on the third day he rose from the dead. He's alive forevermore. 
And all that the sinner has to do is simply come and take that offer, that gospel, that salvation that Christ offers. Yet many today, whenever you offer them the salvation found in Jesus Christ, you present to them the cross work of Christ. You show them the shedding of the blood for the remission of their sins. You show forth the love of Jesus Christ that he died upon the cross. And what is the answer? We're not coming. They refuse the sacrifice. They refuse the authority of Jesus Christ. My friend, if that's your mentality, if that's been your situation up until this point, let me bring this one verse. How shall you escape if you neglect the so great salvation? How can you escape? How can you be saved if it's not through Jesus Christ? Thirdly, I want you to see in the verse 13, the presumption that was made. The presumption that was made because Dathan and Abiram, they say this, Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? It's that first line. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey? You know, it's, it's hard to get my head around this one. Dathan and Abiram are actually saying here and believing that Egypt flowed with milk and honey. They're actually saying here that they were better off in Egypt. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament scriptures, if you know anything about the treatment of the Israelites in Egypt, they were lashed with the whip. They were the slaves of the Egyptians for all of their days. They had to work as hard as they could, making their own bricks and building everything the Egyptians wanted them to build. Very little food. Then it came to the point, and Pharaoh said, Right, all of the men, children, must be thrown into the river and drowned. Yet two individuals who experienced that, experienced Egypt for what it truly was, yet these two individuals are brought up out of it across the Red Sea. All of the Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians have been drowned in the sea. They're spared. And yet they're now saying it would have been better for us to be there. That place flowed with milk and honey. place where there was no joy, a place where there was no peace, a place where every day the Israelites cried in anguish that their cry came up before God. And yet Dathan and Abiram, they stated, it's their belief that the place of bondage is the place of milk and honey. They're saying we'd rather be there. Sadly, that mentality is many minds and many hearts today. Because many in this world believe the world is as good as it gets. 
That all of the destruction, all of the depression, all of the distress, all of the wickedness that you find in this world, all of the sadness and the grief that is in this world, mankind believes this is as good as it gets. That individuals murdering each other, that families being torn apart from each other, that individuals ending up in hospital and in a broken state, and individuals even taking their life, and all of the other sadnesses and griefs that there are in this world, and yet man believes this is as good as it gets. Make as much as you can in this world, because once you're gone, that's it, there's nothing else. Make as much money as you can in this world. Live life as much as you can in this world because this is it. That's the mentality of Dathan and Abiram towards Egypt. It's the mentality of so many unsaved today. There's no understanding or appreciation of the great contrast that there is between what the world offers and what Christ offers. Rather, man today believes the lie of the greatest liar of all, the devil. The devil tells individuals, you have this life, you have this world, enjoy it, enjoy the pleasures, enjoy the vices of this world and all of the sin crazes, enjoy it all because this is as good as it is. Oh, what a liar he is. You know what Proverbs 21, the verse 17 says? He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught the people, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon this earth where the moth can enter in and rust. My friend, a life of sin and bondage, a life of slavery to the devil, to the darkness of this world is not the best life. You will not find joy or blessing, or peace in anything outside in this world can offer you. Money won't give it to you. Alcohol, drugs won't give it to you. They'll give you a high for a season, for a time. Then they'll bring you very low. You ever heard of the prodigal son? prodigal son was there in the best house possible. His father cared for every need he had, and yet his eyes were in the world, and it came to the point, he says to his father, he says, Father, give me my half of your inheritance. I want to go into the world. The father, with a broken heart, he carved up the farm, as it were. He gave the possession, the part that was the son. The son went into the world. He lived up life. He had the friends for a season while he had the money. Then when the money ran out, the friends disappeared. There's a prodigal son sitting in a field feeding pigs. So hungry that he was even going to stick his head in the feeding trough with them. And yet it looked so good. Put all of his effort begging his father, please, father, give me the money, I want to go. Now he's there in the pit, sitting with pigs all around him, broken and empty. Remember Lot, Genesis 13, 
came to the point in the life of Abraham and of Lot that all of their farms were getting too big to co-reside side by side. So it came to the point, right, we'll split. Abraham says to you, Lot, Lot, you look around, you choose. Whatever way you want to go, I'll go in the opposite direction so that there's plenty of space between the two herds. Lot, it tells us in verse 10, he lifted up his eyes. He beheld all of the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered there, and Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. He looked out and he says, boys, that looks good. I want all of that. So he went that way. In verse 12, it tells us, Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. You keep moving on in the book of Genesis, what do you find? He's pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he's in Sodom. Then he's in the gate of Sodom. Then he's broken. Destruction of the Lord comes down. His wife's turned to a pillar of salt. His two daughters turn in him and lie with him to have children. And he's completely bankrupt. Because his eyes went to the world. His heart longed for it. His feet followed it. And he's empty. My friend, the world is not the best there is. Jesus Christ is the best. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in him. Joy is found in Christ. Love is found in Christ. Peace is found in Christ. Eternal life is found in Christ. But moving on, I want you to see fourthly in the verse 15. I want you to see the prayer that Moses made. Whenever the two individuals refuse to come, Moses is very wroth. He said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Now some might look at his words and look at his petition. They might think, My Moses is a better man, isn't he? Spiteful. Just because they wouldn't come up whenever he commanded them to. Boys, Moses is better. Moses isn't better. Moses and what he says here is very clear because there's a very clear understanding of who God is. See, Moses understood the holiness of God. He understood the perfection of God. He understood the sacrifice for sin. He understood that there would come a time whenever the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, would have to come down into this world and would have to offer himself as the sacrifice for sin. And Christ being in all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they pointed forth to what? The spotless Lamb of God who would die for the sins of his people. Moses understood the greatness of sin. He understood the great cost to remove the penalty of sin. And so in light of the actions, the desires, and the words of Dathan and Abiram, the refusal of those two individuals to come, Moses prays and he says, Lord, you cannot accept them. 
cannot accept their offering. You cannot accept how they plan to approach you. You cannot accept how they plan to appease you. For, Lord, they are not coming in the way or by the way which you have decreed. Just like Cain. Look at Genesis. Cain didn't come with the blood atonement, did he? He came to the time to make a sacrifice. He brought his fruit. He brought his vegetables. He brought the work of his hands. God couldn't accept it. You see, for the atonement for our sins, for the penalty to be paid for our sins, it has to be blood. It tells us in Genesis 4, the verse 5, Unto Cain and to his offering God had not respect. And Moses is so clear in his mind, for the sake of the glory of God and the holiness of God, God cannot accept these individuals who refuse to come the way that God has said. You think Moses found happiness in praying such a prayer? Doesn't give any believer any joy at all in knowing that sinners are going to hell. There's no joy in a believer to know loved ones within family circles who refuse to turn from their sin and to believe in Jesus Christ that they will be cast into hell if they die in their sins. There is no joy in that at all. But the reality is God has only decreed one way. For you to have peace with God, for you to be accepted by God... It must and can only be through Jesus Christ. If you reject the Son of God, there is no other way, and therefore they reject the Lord, and therefore the Lord will reject them. You know, sometimes believers can get carried away in desperation. Maybe you have a son or a daughter, brother or sister prayed for them for years you've longed for years Lord save them maybe in desperation it's crept into your mind but they're not bad people they're good individuals they're great family members they're great kind individuals even in the community they're so hard working almost creeps into the believer's mind about a works-based religion, a works-based salvation, just because they don't want their child or they don't want their brother, their sister, their mother, their father, their neighbor, their best friend. They don't want them lost. My friend, salvation is all of grace. It must and can only be through grace that you're saved. That goes for your loved ones too. Grace must be and is the only way of salvation. If men and women refuse to believe on Jesus Christ, they cannot be saved. They cannot be accepted before God. But fifthly and finally, you look at the verse 32 and 33 of the chapter. 
You see the penalty for their rejection. Verse 32, it tells us, The earth opened her mouth, swallowed them up in their houses, and the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. You know, if you actually look at the verse 25 as well, again, it's grace. Because you remember, verse 12, Moses has sent to them, he sent a messenger to them, tell Dathan and Abiram to come to me. Verse 25 tells you, Moses rose up and he went on to Dathan and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram refused to come to him, and yet Moses, even showing forth the grace of God, he goes, as it were, out to them, into the highways, to the byways, to bring them. And they still won't come. And they still won't turn. They had their opportunity. God gave them another opportunity. God gave them another opportunity. And then God separated them. You read those verses. We didn't read the whole passage, but you read what happens. Those of Korah are set aside. Korah, On, Dath, and Abiram, and all of those individuals that stood with them, all of their families that appertained, as it were, that were with them in their numbers, they're separated from the rest of the people. What happens? The earth opens. They go down. They went down into hell. My friend, tonight there is coming a day when the Lord will separate the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goat. In other words, the saved from the unsaved. Coming a day that God's going to set all of his people in one place. Then all that are refusing and rejecting the gospel are going to be set aside. They're going to be cast into hell. They're going to be there forever. How quick God's judgment can be. Well, you think, yes, there's coming that great judgment day, but even tonight, how swift God's judgment can be, how final it can be, whenever God just says, time's up. Just cuts them off. Here was death in the Byram, here was Korah, Times of opportunity are over. The earth just opens. They're all gone. No more opportunities. No more possibilities of survival. No more possibilities of forgiveness. No more possibilities of coming and obeying the word of God. They're gone. It's over. No reprieve, no return. 
See, the payment, the wages of sin is death. Thank God tonight the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the invitation of the gospel is given again, come. The Spirit of God and the Bride of God, in other words, the Church of Christ, say come. Let him that heareth say come. Will ye come? Moses sent word. They rejected it. We will not come up. Moses went down. We will not come up. God says, right, separate them. My spirit is no longer going to strive with them. The earth opened. They're gone. My friend, if the spirit's striving with you tonight, if you've heard the gospel before and you're under the sound of it again tonight, the invitation is being given, come to Christ. Don't walk out and reject it again. Don't trample over the cross of Christ again. What if this is the last time? What if you walk out that door? Say no. And God says, right, that's it. It's over. My friend, heed the gospel invitation. Come. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, you shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, doesn't matter your sins, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter the years in sin that you've spent, you can be washed whiter than snow. You can be white as wool. But you must come. Let's pray.